electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast Rate Shock, mortgage rates topping 7% today. It's only the second time that's happened in nearly 20 years. Borrowing costs for everything from cars to corporate debt also skyrocketing. When will we see these moves cripple spending, and when will they trigger any kind of worry in this market? Plus, Tesla's big vision for the future, seemingly clouding how investors feel about the stock, at least for today, is retail's love affair with Elon about to fade. And later, Apple trading below a key technical level. What's the tech giant's next move? Another massive haircut for a crypto-related stock and the monster options action on one of the day's biggest winners, Salesforce. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Jeff Mills. And we start off with the great rate spike. Treasury yields powering higher again today with the two-year uh, getting within just three basis points of 5%, a level it hasn't touched since July 2007. The move particularly interesting since the yield was under 1% at the start of last year. And take a look at how borrowing costs have gone up alongside it. The average new car loan has gone from under 4% to over 6 a 30-year mortgage, just about 7%. Corporate lending rates, nearly 8%. On the interest rate on the average credit card, now around 20%. But stocks don't seem to want to hear the message the bond market is sending. Equity markets surging into the close, with the Dow jumping more than 340 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both up about three-quarters of a percent. Major indices all now positive for the week. So when will investors and consumers finally start to feel this pinch from persistently high rates? And this is something we've been puzzling about for some time. Yeah, well, I think the consumer's already feeling it. And if you're going to ask me to explain today's action, I mean, I'm typically confused. As you know, I wake up confused (laughs) in the morning, but today has me scratching my head. Chris Waller, Fred Governor, he's a voting member, by the way. Recent data suggests that consumer spending isn't slowing that much. The labor market continues to run unsustainably. His words, not mine, hot. And then inflation is not coming down in a meaningful way. Rate hikes are going to have to continue. I mean, that should have taken the market down 50 S&P handles. Instead, the market rallied 30 S&P handles. It's unexplainable. But to answer your question, as the inversion gets closer to 1%, twos, tens, 5%, 4%, effectively where we are, that's not particularly bullish. And rates aren't going higher because the economy is getting any better. So I don't know specifically today what the broader market is looking at. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But I'll tell you what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the chart of the Fed funds rate going back 20 years, okay? And I'm seeing that we're going to be very soon at 5%. And the last time we had Fed funds at 5%, it was back in 06, okay? And and just think about that. You just think about how equities have acted since the financial crisis when we've had, you know, QE after QE, and then we basically had zero interest rates forever. And then I go in and think about 2018. I know we've talked about this a lot, but the last time the Fed really started to try to raise and normalize interest rates was when Fed Chair Powell was the first year on the job. He started doing it, what, quarter point, that sort of thing. And what happened? The slightest 
growth scare that we had. This was back in fourth quarter of 2018. The stock market sold off 20% in almost a straight line, and they had to pivot here. And the guy's point and all that we just heard um, about inflation here and where unemployment is, it makes the Fed's job so hard. There is no pivot coming if there's a growth scare because the worst case scenario would be slower growth, but then uh, like unusually high inflation with unusually low unemployment. And so to me, I think that like this is the one thing for stocks makes no sense to me. You're talking about 30 handles in the S&P today. I'm talking about an 18 handle on the P.E. for the S&P 500, given everything we know and all the uncertainty that that lurks out there. So to me, that's what I'm most uh, confused about. Well, I I agree with Guy. Confused. I don't really know why. I mean, especially with those comments, right, you would think. But I don't know if the market just saying, you know, we're looking through uh, that ultimately. We don't know exactly when, but one day the Fed will stop raising. But for right now, something seemed to be okay. And this recession that we really thought was happening, maybe it isn't happening. And that's that is maybe under, uh, you know, the the ballast for this bullish move. I don't get it personally. So I, I feel like we kind of misdiagnose uh, or, or misinterpret what some of these Fed governors are saying. Mm-hmm. And then later when they say, no, really, this is what we're saying, then, right. then we freak out. Yeah. You know, we were talking to Bill Nigren uh, the other day of Oakmark, and he was talking about his bull case, Jeff, for Capital One Financial. And I think this sort of gets at this. I was, I was asking him, you know, how can you be bullish this sort of credit card lender when the type of person who has a Capital One Financial card is sort of, you know, on the lower end of the spectrum? We said, well, because the labor market and the lower end of the spectrum is actually very tight. And that's a good thing, because as long as people have jobs, they'll pay off their car loans, they'll pay off their credit card loans. And maybe, maybe that's the kind of economy that we are in right now, where actually, you know, as long as unemployment remains so low and especially tight in pockets of the labor market, that things are actually good, at least for right now. So trade the market you have. Yeah, I just don't know how long that's going to last. And I think that's part of the reason we were seeing some inconsistency between the stock and bond markets in the early part of this year. I know we're talking about kind of the level of rates and the yield curve inversion, but there were some weird things going on with credit spreads as well. We were seeing earnings expectations continue to come down. We all know that. But then credit spreads were also tightening as well. So I think that's part of this narrative where the consumer's in good shape. There's a lot of liquidity out there. So credit seems to be in good shape. But now all of a sudden you're starting to see credit roll over, whether you're looking at HYG or JNK, these high yield ETFs, you know, that rally really died in February. Now that's all below the 200 day. Looks like it's heading lower today. Even credit uh, was weaker uh, than the stock market was. So I think that you have that dynamic going on. And sure, the consumer still has spending power. There's no doubt about it. Wage gains have been solid. Inflation is off its peak. So purchasing power is up. And like I said, there's all this legacy liquidity. I think there's still $840 billion of excess savings out there. But this lagged impact of rates is going to bite at some point. We've actually started to see the savings rate hook higher. That's not a good thing. You usually start to see the savings rate hook higher around recessions, around economic slowdown as the consumer starts to pull back and get a little bit concerned. So I think there are cracks and you're right. Things are okay for now. I'm just concerned where we end up going forward here. And to Dan's point, you know, the P.E. going from 15 in October to 18 at the peak here this year. You know, I'm not going to hang my hat on P.E. expansion for the market to continue higher this year. Not with rates where they are. And I'll just say this. I don't know who said that. And I know what you were quoting them, but like trade the market that you have. It's, it, it, it remains one of the dumbest market idioms I, I could ever hear, because if you're not if the stock market is a discounting mechanism, you could say, OK, well, it's discounting the fact that we're not going to have this recession. Fine. But throw in the rate 
situation here and throw in this other thing that our, our friend Karen over here says, oh, yeah, I'll park some money in T-bills at 5 percent, that sort of thing. Right. There is a massive alternative to the sort of risk that, that, that I'm not saying sell stocks or this and that, or whatever. I'm just saying when you think about where we are right now on either side of a really important technical level in the S&P 500, we're kind of hanging on for dear life above that 200 day moving average. Um, to me, I just think given the rate situation, given the uncertainty about the economy, given a lot of what we've heard about the consumer in just the last few weeks, all those stats you just rallied off, it just doesn't feel like that all of this rate hiking cycle and all the ills of the last few years of the like ridiculous accommodation that we saw both fiscal and monetary is going to be solved by one year lower in the S&P by 20%. I mean, the lag effect is also how it cycles it's, through, right? I mean, a lot of people who had mortgage, who have mortgages right now, they don't feel 7%. They still have 2%. And in terms of, you know, companies that are borrowing, maybe their debt is not up for another year or two. But when they have right. to go back to market, that 8% rate, which is then going to be 10% or above, that is going to hurt. Yeah, that is going to hurt. But it, it's, it's sort of interesting that the... Well, I don't know. We are going to see this refinancing bubble, but it, not bubble, but we'll see that happen. But not, it hasn't happened yet. I've been sure at the HYG a while. It's down, but it hasn't really cracked. Right. right. It's widened a little bit. It moves with rates up and down. But then there's also the credit risk element that really has not moved. So I, I don't know what to make of it, but stay in short HYG and LQD. So, I mean, can you can you interpret J and K, you know, being relative, you know, pretty strong considering what we think is coming on the horizon as actually a good sign? Yeah, you can definitely yeah. interpret that. Listen, HYG bottomed out, I think, in September, $70.40. It rallied to 79. I think today it's sub 74 ish. So it's held in there remarkably well. But Jeff will point out correctly that and in my opinion as well. It's almost just a matter of time before things start to break on the credit side of things. And I've said for a while, the Fed put is not in the form of the S&P 500. The Fed put is in the form of either unemployment going to 5% or credit markets starting to freeze up, which I'm not saying we're on the precipice of, but clearly closer than we've been in quite some time. There's a, you know, a sort of uh, discussion, probably starting a couple of months ago, with the idea of the Fed isn't understanding the lag, right? Mm -hmm. And this is just way too much tightening too quickly, right. and it'll just, you know send us into a deep recession. That doesn't seem to be happening. It does seem to be happening that housing is slowing, right? right? Rates are higher. The market's sort of coming around to that. But yet they're sort of falling off a cliff. Of, uh, for but the there's economy. still a lot of rate hikes to be passed through to the economy, right? I mean, in terms I don't of the know, lag well, effect, the, if it's six, let's say it's six to nine months from the first one, we've only felt the effects of the first couple. Is it hikes. six to nine months, though? I, I mean, mean I some things go debate. right away, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, bank loans, go, corporate loans go right away. Bank, to debt that they've raised, that doesn't move right away. That, that, to your point. But it's sort of interesting to me that things seem to be hanging on, even despite this potential. It, it is interesting. There's, like, as many things that we want to point out that could go wrong, there's a lot of things that, like, literally showing really good relative strength, yeah. or whatever column you want to put. I, I, I understand all that. I'll tell you the one thing that kind of bothers me a little bit is just, like, a week ago or two weeks ago, the VIX was a teenager. You know, right now it's just, like, like 20-ish or something like that. There's no fear in the market. And, and I just, is, again, as long as I've been doing this, I mean, I've never seen Fed funds. I mean, we've only seen it a couple of times, you know what I mean, kind of 
get to these sorts of levels here. And I've also learned forever that interest rates are such an important part about pricing equities. Here's what I'd say. If you think about the S&P that topped out at 4,800, we're just below 4,000 right now. And we were just up from, what, 3550 at the lows in October. I think the best thing for people who like to dollar cost average, like to buy things coming to them, wouldn't be a melt up in the face of all of this tightening. It would be another, like getting back to what we saw for 2022, which is a very orderly like series of lower highs and lower lows. And then you have the opportunity to kind of work into some positions in the major indices and actually kind of come out of it however we come out of this rate hiking cycle, probably with an okay average on the S&P and the NASDAQ if you're taking a longer term view. All right. For more on the impact of surging rates, let's bring in David Rosenberg, founder and president of Rosenberg Research. David, great to have you with us. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, you know, a part of the conversation we were just having, and that is what the HYG and the JNK is telling us. And I'm wondering if you, you see glass half full or glass half empty here, because the chart really says that maybe there's not too much going too badly. And I'm wondering when you think about this lag effect of rate hikes, when does that start hitting this part of the, of the credit market? Because you would think that it would start hitting now. Well, I think that when you're taking a look at the leading indicators, uh, and we just got the money supply numbers today, and uh, M2 is down a record, 1.7% uh, year over year. Uh, that's a leading indicator. I, I heard you guys talking about the yield curve. Uh, another ironclad uh, leading indicator, there's uh, the Fed Loan Officer Survey, uh, which has tightened dramatically in the last quarter across all types of bank credit. Um, these are all leading indicators. It's a matter of timing. I think that right now you've got a situation where the stock markets and the credit markets seem to think that they have uh, they have more time that they can buy uh, before the boom really gets lowered on the economy. Uh, there's no doubt the economy is not strong, but it hasn't weakened precipitously. But the one thing we have to keep in mind is, you know, whether it's money supply, the LEI, uh, the yield curve, uh, all these other things that we have in the crystal ball, it's telling me that the recession probably starts uh, Q2 no later than Q3. And uh, the time horizon for the markets, whether it's credit or equities, is shortened up so much that it's only when they see the whites of the eyes. Uh, and I think a lot of it will have to do as well with, uh, with employment. Employment has to start contracting. Once employment starts contracting, and of course, that's the bellwether coincident indicator, uh, I think that's where you're going to find uh, the risk on trade, uh, you know, really coming under downward pressure. Reality is that we're not there yet. Uh, but give it, I'd say, three or four months, and we're going to have a different economic picture on our hands. So you think it's that long out. So my, I guess my question to you is, you know, Dan talked about the bull case here, but all we've seen, and Jeff Mills speaks to this, really multiple expansion. Why are we seeing multiple expansion in an environment where people should be paying less for earnings, not more? Well, I would totally agree with you on that. But, you know, and, you know, we're, we're talking here just, you know, very short-term divergences. Uh, and, uh, the stock market can operate, you know, on its own dynamics, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, fund flows or momentum chasing. I think you're 100% right. There is actually no better uh, correlation with the multiple than real interest rates. And we've seen the real 10-year yield jump almost 50 basis points just over the past month. And it's got a very tight link with the P multiple. In fact, when you map it out historically, the multiple actually should be much closer to 15, 16 uh, than, say, 18. Uh, and then you got to slap on, uh, if you have a recession view, uh, which I do, I don't think we get out of this without a recession. It's just a matter of, you know, what the timing is. You know, I, I was talking about a recession uh, throughout uh, all of 2007, 
They didn't come until December that year, uh, but it was still staring us in the face. And, and remember that the stock market saw it late. Stock market peaked just a couple of months ahead of the uh, actual downturn. Um, but I think that you're quite right. The, the multiple is inflated. Uh, I, I believe in Bob Farrell's rule number one on mean reversion. Uh, the multiple will mean revert, and it will do so against the backdrop of this very aggressive Fed, which has lifted both the term premium uh, and, at the same time, the real rate. It's interesting that not much of this move in nominal bond yields has really been inflation expectations, despite the fact all of a sudden inflation is all the rage. It's really been the real rate, uh, and that is not good news for the multiple. So I would just say give it time. You know, we could be talking about something totally different, you know, four weeks from now in terms of where that multiple is. should be 15, 16 not 18. And then, you know, we're talking about a recession, uh, but, you know, none of your viewers who are investors are buying GDP. <laughs> They're buying earnings. And so where's Q4 earnings right now? Q4 earnings, uh, the run rate is uh, minus 4.7%. Uh, Last time I looked, Q1 is like negative 5.8. So the earnings recession has actually already started. And I think that would be the question is, you know, what's the stock market not seeing when you're seeing declining earnings, not slowing earnings, and declining earnings estimates. Uh, so maybe it's still about liquidity or it's about technicals. Today was nothing more than bouncing sharply off the 200-day moving average. I mean, today there was, I mean, so sometimes, look, there's nothing fundamental about it. And maybe sometimes it's not just about valuations, it's about technicals. And I think today was more of a very powerful technical move uh, with the 200-day moving average, you know, holding in. Uh, what's gonna happen a week from now? Does anybody really know? I think that'll be violated, but that was the story today. David, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. David Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research. Um, you know, David has a great Twitter feed. If you don't yeah. follow him, follow him. Um, but he tweeted this chart out of uh, S&P 500 earnings yield and the yield on the, on the six-month T-bill. And they're, they're <laughs> practically the same. So in this environment, what would you rather, right? <laughs> well, if you're bullish, you'd rather right, take a shot on the mark. But for me, yeah, you know, it's these the are terse, it's the T-bill for some <laughs> amount, yeah. Yeah. I know one thing he said that just made me think when he said, you know, reversion to the mean doesn't go back to the mean. It goes beyond the mean. Right, exactly. And then to get comes to the back. mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people don't do the math on that, as they call it. Jeff, <laughs> what do you make of Rosenberg's thoughts? Well, I, I agree with him. And he mentioned earnings. And I think that that's sort of critically important here. And we keep talking about the lagged impact uh, of interest rates on the economy. One of the things with the highest correlation that we track is earnings and ISM manufacturing PMI. If you look at the lagged impact of earnings on manufacturing PMI, it's actually about 12 to 18 months. And that correlation is very tight going back decades and decades. So our point of view is that really that view or that move in earnings, or excuse me, that uh, move in rates is only just starting to hit manufacturing PMI. That's going to continue lower. That's going to drag earnings lower. I think that's the key to all this right now. Yeah, I'd say the one thing we haven't talked about is sentiment right here. And, you know, again, at the October lows, I think sentiment was universally bad among strategists and among investors, among pundits, that sort of thing. And, you know, right now, it's kind of interesting. We had that huge rally, 18% off the lows. You know, when I listen to David, and I've been listening to David for 20 years, and I just think he is one of the, the masters at picking apart what is often on Wall Street a universal bullish sort of stance. But right now, it's the exact opposite. Like, all the other strategists have come into his zone right now. And that does make me a little <laughs> nervous. It's really hard to find a bullish strategist Isn't right now. Isn't still interesting? I mean, a lot of strategists have come in, but if you really read them carefully, they've reduced their, you know, S&P outlook to 4,000, 40, 50 or whatever. But the, but the PE that they're still looking at is like 18 because mm -hmm. they haven't lowered their earnings estimates a lot. So they really are 
fairly bullish, even within this wrapper of being more bearish, moving towards that bearish consensus. Whether they realize it or yeah. not, right? And again, what, you know, why are you paying a market, a historic market multiple in an environment where we're, we haven't seen this literally in decades, right? Number one. And the other side of the equation is, as David mentioned, the earnings part is coming down as well. So it all becomes math. And listen, I'm not suggesting we're getting down to a 14 or 15, but even a 16 multiple on $210, $220 of earnings is still significantly lower than we are now. All right, coming up, shares of Nordstrom on the move after the company's latest results. We've got the details from that quarter next. And the sales force is strong with this one. Options traders piling into CRM after a monster earnings beat. Where they see the stock heading next when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Nordstrom, the company beating earnings estimates but giving weak revenue guidance for the year. The conference call underway. Melissa Repko is here with the very latest. Melissa. Hey, Melissa. Like you said, Nordstrom beat on quarterly earnings expectations, and it was roughly in line with revenue expectations, but there were some big pieces of news and potential concerns in its holiday report. Really, there are three big takeaways here. It reported declining sales for both of its banners in the holiday quarter, but even steeper declines at its off-price banner Nordstrom Rack, where net sales dropped 8.1% in the fourth quarter. It announced it's pulling out of Canada, where it has about 13 stores total and already shut down e-commerce sales as of Thursday. It said it didn't see a path to profitability there. And then it gave a weak fiscal year outlook, a 4 to 6% drop in revenue versus a year ago, with some of that coming from the Canada business that it's shutting down. Back to you. Melissa, just quickly, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, on the differences between Nordstrom Rack and how it's seeing declining sales in TJX, which did pretty well. Yes, the difference is really jarring here because what we heard from TJX is that it had a ton of great quality inventory across all price ranges, and that was helping it as consumers look for value. And Nordstrom Rack does compete. It plays in that same area. So it is concerning and something I'd like to dig into more about what's going on here. Why are they not having the same success that TJX is having? All right, Melissa, thank you. Melissa Repko. Karen, thoughts? We certainly had a lot of other retail names that, that reported Best Buy, Macy's. I mean, you take your pick. There's so many yeah, to go to. There was a lot of interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Best Buy, one thing that I thought was interesting on the call was that uh, the CEO was saying she thinks that we're seeing a bottom mm-hmm. um, this year and, or soon. I, I, that was interesting to me. That stock hung in there pretty well. It looked like a sort of a decent-sized miss, but that hung in well. Macy's was pretty good. It wasn't, I'm surprised the stock was up 10% on it. I mean, the guidance was nice. That was good. I guess if you were fearing something else, maybe post the Kohl's report, 
maybe Macy's was down more than it should have been on the heels of that. But I thought it was decent. If you look at the metrics on Macy's, it's unbelievably cheap. Mm-hmm. And as a value girl, I just keep circling around it and not owning it. But what, what is preventing you? I guess it's my fundamental concern about the future of the department store oh. concept. Right. That would be it. And in the meantime, you know, these stocks can trade to the upside. I mean, the good news about Nordstrom, just looking at it, inventories were down 15.2% year over year. So they're getting their, they're getting their house in order. And operating margins hung in at 4.5%. Gross margins declined. That's okay. It's the guide, though. It's a disaster. They're talking about a decline of 5% revenue year over year in 2024. Obviously, that's not particularly good. It's a tough landscape. This stock has been in an eight-year downtrend, legit eight-year downtrend. And we've seen bounces like this before, and I would say at least a dozen times, if not more, within a couple days, they're selling opportunities. Yeah. Jeff, where are you in retail? Yeah, with a, with a name like Nordstrom's, I think it's it's cheap for a reason. So I would just caution people in terms of you know looking for value here. To me, the chart just looks awful. I think it, it's a downtrend that really couldn't be clear. I think there's a chance that you test that low around $15, if not lower at some point. Obviously, I'm concerned about the consumer, so that's part of it. As Karen said, I think the, the, the department store thing is, is also part of that. One thing I thought was very interesting, Piper Sandler puts out a weekly foot traffic measure where they look at consumer foot traffic in department stores and other places. You saw a spike in January there. So I thought that, that kind of fueled the soft landing narrative, the narrative that the economy was okay, the consumer was okay. They just put out that number for February. It's right back down to where it was before. So I think maybe that was very short-lived. Uh, we mentioned TJX. I would rather be in a name like that or a name like Five. I just think those are places where people look in that direction when they're looking to trade down versus a Nordstrom Rack, for example. Did you see he self-would you rather? He self-would you rather <laughs> and did a shameless plug for his own acronym. Did you catch that? <laughs> no. Five below does. in the fame. <laughs> yeah, uh, in the fame. Mills. <laughs> Mills. Sneaky guy. You think he's so, like, straight-laced? Nope, nope. Sneaky guy. Love Mills. Um, there's a lot more Fast Money straight ahead. Here's what's coming up next. Salesforce awakens. The software superstar wowing Wall Street with a big earnings beat. And the action is giving options traders a new hope. Plus, a Tesla take two. Shares driving lower after a less than wowing investor day. And Tesla wasn't the only stock taking a hit. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. Salesforce posting its best day since August 2020. This after their big earnings beat. The results and upbeat guidance resulting in a slew of street upgrades and praise from activist investor Elliott Management, which said the company is taking steps consistent with their recommendations. It actually said that they've been in talks and it's in part because of the talks. Well, options traders are optimistic about the print, too. Mike Coe is here with the action. Mike. Yeah, so CRM traded six and a half times its average daily options volume. It was the fourth busiest single stock option notionally. And one of the trades that I saw that caught my eye was the May 195-220 call spread. Somebody paid $7 for 1,780 of those 
risking one and a quarter million on a bet that could be worth about four and a half million if the stock rises 17 and a half percent or more by May expiration. Now, that 220 target that they've set is significant for another reason. That happens to correspond with those upgraded price targets of about 220 and also the one year high that we saw a year ago in March of 2022. Jeff Mills, you own this one. Yeah, we've owned it for about a year. We bought it back in March of 2022 and then again in April. So we have a cost basis, maybe just around 200. So we're right back to break even. We held it the entire time. I think we'll continue to hold it here. For us, you know, some of the highlights from the call really was the focus on margins, the focus on productivity, the focus on shareholder return. You know, when we bought the stock, part of our thesis was this kind of high marketing and sales spend. We thought that would eventually be a profitability lever for them. Uh, and I think that that's finally starting to show up. You're seeing growth hold up pretty well. And now these activists are in the stock. They're pushing for that change a little bit more quickly. I think you see that in some of the margin forecasts for this year. Um, so for us, the tone of the call was just totally different. Still, customer attrition is very low. So we're comfortable with this position here. And we like the direction uh, the, the company is headed relative to just profitability, spending discipline, things of that nature. I mean, within this space, too, I mean, the valuation on Salesforce, which is doing all of these things and still progressing on these things when it comes to operating margin, seems a lot more rational compared to, say, a snowflake, which on every single metric is a multiple, you know, more expensive than a CRM, right? I mean... Yeah, and two really different businesses. And Slootman, the CEO, uh, was was just on uh, the the overtime there, and that was an interesting interview. He's universally loved. I mean, so here's a stock that it's really interesting. Got down 15% on that disappointing guide. They literally went from consensus guidance of revenue from 47% to maybe the low 40s. That's pretty astounding, but it's off a low base, right? So it's supposed to go from maybe like two billion dollars in sales to 2.8 or something, maybe a little below that, and it still trades about 15 times sales. So that company has to grow into that valuation where I think it's really different on the flip side with the sales force is like everyone's focused on cost the companies are roll up listen I give Benioff a lot of question or a lot a, a lot of credit no matter what quarter they print it seems like forever he goes on Kramer's show afterwards whether yeah. it's good or bad and he takes the questions and he does it and I think he's a great operator but I wouldn't be chasing the stock here and I think it was really interesting that it gapped right up to $194 which is the August high it gave I don't know 4% of it so back there's a big gap there it likely gets filled in my opinion Oh, I'm sorry, Mel. Oh, no, I was going to say quick. No, but I was going to say Dan's CRM. right. You know, it only took five <laughs> activists to come in and get them to get their act together. I mean, that's a, that's well. a legit point. I mean, operating margins were expected 22 percent. They came in at 29. Question I would have, if I was so inclined, is you know what were we doing all along? I mean, why did it take these people to sort of light a fire? With that said, Dan's right about the levels. The next level to look at is probably. 215-ish is where we broke down from in March of 2022. I was really curious to see if any activists would be selling soon, if we should be looking for the filings yeah. that they're exiting <laughs> position after 12%. I mean, why Ella, not? Nelson Peltz. Right, yeah. exactly. That's what right. it reminds me of. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, they seem to be doing the right things. Yeah. You're right, though. What guy, to your point, what were you doing? Where does that leave Matthew McConaughey? He's still, well, on, really? he's still on the well, well, maybe it's already, but, but, he already, but, already. But, but the thing yeah. is, like, think about what are we doing? You know, for the last five years, it's been growth. Yes, any, free money. Like, like, right, so right, no exactly. one gave a crap, right. you know what I mean? And that's the sort of rationalization, I think, that's coming back into both private and the public markets. And that's good. It's good for investors. Yes. You got to get leaner. Yep. 
Uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, shares of Tesla feeling the hangover from yesterday's investor day. The details are lack thereof that sent the stock lower, plus shares of Silvergate getting more than cut in half after delaying its 10K. Can the crypto-focused bank survive? It doesn't know if it can survive. We got much more on that when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the market. Stocks closing near their highs of the day with the Dow up more than 340 points on pace to break a four-week losing streak. The S&P and Nasdaq both snapping two-day losing streaks, each climbing around three-quarters of a percent. And shares of Silvergate Capital plummeting nearly 60 percent after delaying its annual report. The crypto bank saying it needs more time for its accounting firm to complete the audit of its latest quarter and that it's currently analyzing certain regulatory and other inquiries and investigations. Um, this was a terrible story last night when the news crossed. It was still terrible during the day. We also saw Signature Bank, by the way, um, fall under pressure and sympathy here. Right. I mean, it is a terrible story. You got to really, the language is, I mean, they, the lawyers go over this with a fine tooth comb to say we're, you know, we may not, the going concern issue is enormous. And when you put that on a bank, Right. This is not we were talking in the car on the way home and dance like this is what you guys talk about. Like we we're talking to the car like, well, if you go to Bed Bath and Beyond and they're going to file for bankruptcy, you don't care. You can still buy your toaster, your towels or whatever it right. is. Cheaper. If you are a customer of a bank that is in a situation like this, you're irresponsible if, if you, you don't, don't pull your money out. Right. And so I feel very bad for, you know, this has been an institution for a while. And um, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how a bank survives this. And so, I mean, it's down by half. That doesn't seem like a crazy amount. I wouldn't right, be so surprised if it's down by half. Pull, pulling back a little layer of the onion here. So yeah. we, we, the show gets done at 6 o'clock. We get in the car. It's Mel. It's Karen <laughs> and me. Pooling. I Car-pooling. sit down, and I think we're going to have, like, a fun conversation. How the kids? We this did the, think it was You guys fun. got right into Silvergate like it was, like, an extension of the C block again. And I'm like, guys, show's over. This is what they do. You don't have people. to ride in our car yeah. again, Dan. Well, I, it sounds like I'm not invited back. But. Maybe you aren't. All right. All right, let's get to Tesla here. Sinking after last night's investor day. Musk not providing much detail on the EV maker's next generation car. The company did, though, say it would no longer use rare earths metals in its EV motor, sending shares of mining company MP Materials down by almost 11 percent. For more on all this, let's get to Phil LeBeau. A lot of very interesting visions presented yesterday, Phil, but no timelines attached to anything. Grand visions. Melissa, this is what happens when you hold an investor day and you give very few details with benchmarks in terms of we plan to hit this on this date at some point in the future. What they gave everybody was how they plan to disrupt the automotive industry over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And yes, in the grand vision sense, they gave a lot of details about what they hope to do, what they plan to do. It comes down to really three things. First of all, lower costs. They're going to drive them down dramatically, especially with the next generation car faster production, building vehicles much quicker off the assembly lines, and they plan to deliver more vehicles. Tesla is already number one worldwide in terms of EV sales, not just here in the United States, but worldwide. They have 17% of the market share ahead of BYD, which is primarily just sold in China and Asia, and it's just starting in Europe. And then you have Volkswagen. General Motors, by the way, a big chunk of those GM sales are lower-cost uh, EVs. Uh, they're number four, not Ford, uh, coming in at 7%. 
Then there's the Mexico Gigafactory. This was an announcement last night from Elon Musk, but no details. When's it going to be built? When will it be up and running? They do plan on building the next generation vehicle there. And again, they hope to bring the cost of those vehicles down by 50%. In terms of demand, well, Elon Musk says he sees plenty of demand in the future. The desire for people to own a Tesla is extremely high. The limiting factor is their ability to pay for a Tesla, not do they want a Tesla. Um, it's, it's easy for people in this room to lose sight of that. So what's the next vehicle that people will want from Tesla? Elon Musk believes it's the Cybertruck. It goes into production later this year. We'll see a few deliveries maybe before the end of the year, but more likely early next year, and then they start to ramp up production. Bottom line is this, Melissa. Everybody that you read these analyst notes, everybody said the same thing. Great grand vision. We agree with everything that they plan to do, but there are no benchmarks here. There was nothing where they said we plan to hit X number of vehicles by 2025, 2027, 2030, or this is what the cost will do. They gave a big, broad, hitting 20 million annual deliveries, but they didn't put a date on it. Um, you know, so these are the kind of things that I think that the public, the investors, the retail investors, I think that's what they were hoping for. Yeah, they're also hoping for a cheaper car, and we only got sort of a you know, a tease for, you know, when we're ready to do that, we'll probably have right. some sort of a product event sometime in the future at some time, not disclosed right now. And, and Melissa, most believe that you're not going to see that vehicle before the end of 25 at the earliest. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't even announced it yet, I mean, a year and a half would be ridiculously fast to get it towards the beginning of 25. You're looking probably late 25, 26 at the earliest. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Um, I thought what was also interesting at this particular Investor Day presentation was that Elon Musk made it a point to be seated next to more than a dozen executives that we probably have never seen before, many of them, or heard of before, to get to the point that I may be running Twitter, I may be running SpaceX, but we've got a deep bench here. So this was a show. I mean, this was a show to address a lot of investor concerns. Which is, I think, a good thing, right? And again, just for clarification, you know, I thought you had to sell Tesla into earnings a month and a half or so ago. Stock was 155. That was incorrect. But it did trade the levels then. Subsequently, we thought it could go to about 220, 225, which lined up with the moving averages. Now what? Well, it wasn't a particularly good day, obviously. Traded a lot of volume, did not bounce with the broader market. And oh, by the way, they said they're going to need an additional $150 billion of capital at some point. I mean, that reeks of secondary to me. I'm just but throwing I mean, it out there. Factories that are way down the line. I mean, we just made a whole point about how this is so off in the future and that there's no time frame. So $150 billion at some later point in time. Doesn't scream secondary. Not yet, but yeah. I mean, it's out there. So right. where's the level? I think 165 to me is the level. If you were looking to get long, that's where you get long. If you're looking to reload, that's where you reload. Yeah, just and for clarification, after earnings, I started shorting it when it was 165 on that gap, and it was a kind of a painful position. We've talked about it a little bit, and, and you know, I've worked out of it and actually have a gain in the thing. I took a lot of it off today, but I still think the stock's going lower for two main reasons, because I look at Google Trends. You know, he talks about the desire to own, um, you know, Teslas. You know what? Tesla Cybertruck, just go to Google Trends, people. It's very near, you know, 52-week lows as far as interest in that sort of thing. I don't really buy 
by that. And I think the lack of kind of clarity about what the roadmap is for some of the products that here and now. And when you think about tagging an extra $125 billion in expenses over whatever that time period is to build out to get to that 20 million car um, vision, let's be clear right now, the largest car maker on the planet sells less than half of that a year. Okay, so that is a really ambitious thing with nothing tied to it. The last thing I'll say, I said it last night, right now, gross margins this year, this was a margin story for the last couple years, okay? They're expected to go from 25 to 22% this year on flat to probably down earnings on 25% sales growth. So they're gonna be spending a lot. And if there is a recession, we spent a lot of time talking about it, and if there is any issues with China, this company's gonna have a hard time. Coming up, Apple shares managing a gain in today's session, but still holding below a key technical level, what one of our traders is watching right now. But first, Broadcom is out with earnings. We'll dive into that quarter next. And later, don't miss the CNBC special taking stock with Eamon Jabbers. That is right here on CNBC at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Broadcom. The chip stock beating on the top and the bottom lines. The conference call is underway. Christina Parts Nevelis is here with the latest. K Parts. Hello. So Broadcom on the call reiterating that cloud infrastructure spending remains resilient with double-digit growth for nine consecutive quarters, with lead times for them still around 50 weeks. Arista Networks and Cisco both reiterating the same trend in their own recent earnings report. But keep in mind, Broadcom makes chips used in data centers for networking, as well as AI chips that help to speed up computing power. So the CEO on the call right now said that he expects exponential demand from hyperscalers and forecasts that Ethernet switch shipments. If that confuses you, all you need to know is that it scales up networks for AI. That could grow from $200 million, which is what it is now, to over $800 million just in 2023. He says generative AI is, quote, barely starting to kick off this year and has really just seen a jump in excitement and demand just within the last 90 days. Lastly, Broadcom's acquisition of VMware, we know, is still up in the air given EU regulator antitrust concerns. Uh, CEO Tan, uh, Hawk Tan said he believes the review timeline will take longer, but, and this is a quote, expects the transaction to close in fiscal 2023. That's, those are all the comments he would provide. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelis, Guy Adami. 61% operating margins. I mean, that's a lot of people would like to have half of that number one. 13 and a half times next year's numbers, not expensive on a price to earnings multiple. You don't have, maybe you have 9% EPS growth, single digits revenue growth. Comes down to this. It's had trouble above 600 a number of times over the last couple of years. Does it, does it power through or do we stall here again? I happen to think, unfortunately, we probably get up to 615, 620. That's the level we felt up before. I think it's going to happen one more time. I always have trouble with this ticker. Yes, Avago. Right? AVGO. Sure. It's like it takes right. me one more BCOM. second to think about Try it. That a few times. Uh, Jeff Mills, where do you stand on uh, AVGO? Yeah, so guys sort of read my mind. I mean, it's actually not historically cheap, even at 14 times, if you look at the historical P multiple of the stock. But... You know, I think what the market is seeing, I think what I'm seeing is, is really what Guy said. Really nice sales growth last year, really good earnings growth, particularly high free cash flow margins. I mean, these are things that are being rewarded in this market. And this is not the company it was when it historically traded at 12 or 13 times forward earnings. The company has evolved a number of really successful acquisitions. Obviously, VMware is sort of next on the table. It could be a little bit of a binary catalyst one way or the other uh, regarding whether it gets closed or not. But regardless, I think that the stock is in a very solid position. You have a 3% dividend yield. I agree with Guy. I'd like to see it press above 600 and stay there. But I do think you could hold the stock here. 
All right, coming up, ouch, Apple shares hanging out below a key technical support level, but can it find its footing again? That trade and more ahead. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Apple nudging slightly higher today, but still trading below its 200-day moving average for a second consecutive day. Despite a rough couple of weeks, the stock is still up nearly 13% for the year. Jeff, you are looking at this. Yeah, you know, we've talked about Apple as being this bear market barometer, and I think for me it still is in a lot of ways. I thought this was interesting. You know, it hasn't traded below a 20 times P.E., Uh, post-pandemic at all. The stock has moved down at at certain points in time, but it really hasn't given it up in terms of valuation at all. And when when I look at this chart, it's still very much the same. It continues to make lower highs. As we said, it's below that 200-day moving average. And, And I still think that you know, with the consumer kind of heading toward more of a slowdown, at least in my opinion, at 23 and a half times right now, I'm looking at that 130 to 140 range in the near term. I think you get at least there, and then there's potential downside, I think, in addition to that. And yes, it's had a nice move this year, but it's actually trailed the S&P 500 by about 6% since the October low. So even relative weakness overall during this recent move higher in the market. I'm actually long a little bit of Apple. It's not a huge position, but I, so Jeff, let me just push back a little bit. As the mix changes to this, you know, more services, which is a different income stream, do you think that that puts a, you know, 20 plus floor under the stock as per PE multiple? There's no doubt about it that if you look back over the 10 years, Karen, let's just say, I mean, the average multiple is, is no longer relevant just because of that product's mix shift. I think you're seeing that with, with a number of different companies. I just worry that as you see additional pressure on that E, um, it's probably not going to be able to hold, say, a 20 plus multiple, especially given the conversation we had relative to rates earlier in the show. So, you know, I don't think the stock has to necessarily crash from here. I just wonder if you're going to actually get outperformance from a name like this, given where it's currently trading. Yeah, and I think Carter had mentioned that for like a couple of years, just relative to the S&P, it really was not performing well. And you think about, I think, Karen, you make like the perfect point. They just announced that they have a 2 billion iOS installed base. And if more of those um, hardware devices are going to be using more services, that's great for the multiple longer term. I guess it goes back to what my view is, is like Apple is the market, in my opinion. It's a $2.5 trillion market cap company. It's the largest that we have here. Love to see a little fear in it. You could say back in October, there was definitely a little fear. That was a good time to buy it. It 25 percent right now given all the uncertainty that we have about china about the consumer about valuations i'd say probably not great right here all right up next final trade time for the final trade let's go around the horn general mills yeah, I think you continue to sell with DHI here into this weakness. I'm looking at support somewhere around $80. That's about 11 or 12% below where we are right now. Chairwoman. Yeah, you know, the Tesla thing, they're talking about this giant Mexico plant that just sort of reinforced it for me, EWW, the Mexico ETF. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so with yields about 4% in the 10-year, um, bank stock did not love that today, and they didn't participate. I'd be a seller of the XLF. Shout out to Tim Seymour hosting a huge yes. Georgetown event. Yes. And quickly, Mel, does Kane score tonight at Madison Square Garden? 100%. It's incredible, <laughs> your hockey acumen. <laughs> McDonald's actually trading pretty well here. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money and bearing with us. We'll <laughs> be back tomorrow at 5. Meantime, the CNBC special Taking Stock with Eamon Javers starts right now. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.